This talk was given by Vanessa Zuise Goddard Sensei. Zuise Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of her talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation to find out more about her teachings or to join her mailing list, please visit her website at vanessazuisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. The Buddha said, If you friends exert meticulous effort, nothing will be difficult to accomplish. Therefore, you should make an effort to practice carefully, for when water flows constantly against a big rock, even a small amount of water will eventually wear a large hole. But if one who practices becomes lax, it will be impossible to accomplish anything. It is like trying to start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. If you stop rubbing before the wood gets hot enough, you can't start a fire. This is what is meant by meticulous effort. I, too, have been working on the eight awarenesses of of enlightened beings, and uh, I I thought Gokan was finished, Um, so you get a double header. And exerting meticulous effort is the fourth awareness. And I've spoken of, of effort before in the context of right effort, the Noble Eightfold Path, and zeal as one of the paramitas. But I like this phrase even better because um, it describes very well what kind of effort is required. It is careful, it is deliberate, it is as detailed and focused or as wide and all-encompassing as it needs to be. And Mizumi Roshi says that the Japanese... Shojin means, uh, sho means pure, not mixed, and jin is progress in the sense of forward moving effort, not regressing. So this is pure progress. And the Shasta Abbey translation of this passage, in, in fact, uh, speaks of devotion to progress instead of exerting meticulous effort. And being how our, given how our minds work, you know, this can be a doorway or it can be a trap, depending really on how we hold it, this progress. But it really means not regressing, not being confused about what we need to do, what is most important, what truly needs our attention, our effort, our care. And this first line of the passage, if you exert meticulous effort, nothing will be difficult to accomplish. In one sense, that line holds the whole thing. And how is this? From what perspective is this true? Because <coughs> we so often say practice is difficult. Sashin is difficult. Sitting still, facing our demons is difficult. So what does the Buddha mean when he says when <coughs> that if we exert meticulous effort, nothing, nothing will be difficult to accomplish? And he's not saying it will be easy. But he is saying it won't be difficult. And again, how is that? You know, he speaks with such certainty. You know, such a sense of knowing 
So what is he seeing that he can speak in this way? <coughs> and I was reflecting on um, you know, times when I feel I am going through something difficult. And often I've returned to this um, story that I read first, but then I, I saw they, they, they made a documentary of this climber, a British climber, uh, Joe Simpson, who was climbing in the Peruvian Andes with his partner, and they were tied together, and there was some kind of storm, maybe even an avalanche, and Simpson fell into a crevasse and was hanging. Uh, the, the only thing that was holding him was the rope that was tied to his partner, Yates, and at a certain point, Yates realized that he was sliding closer to the edge of the crevasse. And so he chose. He chose to cut the rope, thinking that Simpson was um, probably dead anyway. And ironically, it was that choice that actually allowed Simpson to survive. Probably if, if, if he had gone over, if they had both gone over, they probably would have been killed. And yet there is that moment of him cutting that rope, knowing that if his partner wasn't already dead, he probably would be because of of this act. And so he left him for dead, but Simpson um, fell on a a small ledge 150 feet from the, the lip of the crevasse, and he broke his leg, but he was alive. And then he spent the next three days first getting out of that crevasse with the broken leg, and then hopping and crawling over five miles of glacier. And, um, and very treacherous glacier, same thing. You know, there were, he, he didn't know if the next step it was going to be solid ground or another hole and moraines, and, and he had to go around huge boulders. And he speaks of how he did that. He said he would, he would identify a marker in the distance, and then he would give himself half an hour to reach it. And then he would break down the movements that he needed to do. He said he would place his, his leg, place, lift, brace, hop, time. So he would check himself to make sure that he was moving at a steady pace, because periodically he was so exhausted he would just fall asleep. And so he'd have to rouse himself again, Place, lift, brace, hop, time. And he made it just hours before Yates left the camp for good. And I realized that I've often returned to to that image of breaking things down, what you could say is manageable, in, in a situation that seems anything but manageable, that seems impossible and breaking it down to these very simple, in one sense, very simple, very small, very focused movements. When I'm, when I'm really tired in zazen, it's inhale, exhale. I have a word, I have a phrase that I often use, and if I'm really tired, I just condense it into one word. It's very short and very easy to remember, and it holds a lot of power for me. So it's, it's quite... Literally that, inhale, exhale, word, pause. Come back, come back, stay alive. 
stay alive. You know, an experience like that is difficult. Living in a war zone, being made into a sex slave is difficult. Having to walk two miles each way to to get your water, you know, a vat of water for the day, that's difficult. Or not having use of my body, my mind, is difficult. (coughs) So that too, I find, can be helpful to to put my difficult into perspective. And still, there are times when I do experience difficulty, since my, my kind of difficulty. But what is that, really? What is the nature of difficult? Where is it located? What is its source, its root? And Simpson's example, you know, is quite dramatic, and um, he couldn't afford to not be meticulous. And of course, most of us don't usually find ourselves <coughs> such dire situations. And so it doesn't seem like it's a matter of life and death. <coughs> Change the, the empty toilet paper roll or put away a shovel. You know, it doesn't seem like it's, there's that much at stake to be meticulous with some things, not so meticulous with others. And I think that's where comfort works to our disadvantage, where it doesn't seem so crucial. And on, on Tuesday, Motion and I went to see a fellow student, Joseph Thiemer, who's been on the health and healing list for some time. And he's... Um, He's dying. I mean, he's living his last weeks, maybe, maybe days. And um, sitting with him, it was so clear to me, again, there really is no time to waste. I mean, one moment, you're living your life fully. And in another, everything changes. And for him, you know, things changed gradually, in a sense, in a way. And yet there was that moment that turning moment of feeling the first pain, right, or, or getting the, the diagnosis. And now losing, little by little, or not so little by little, use of his body and his mind. And it reminded me again, there is so much living to do while you can do it fully. And when it seems that you can't do it fully, to do that fully, which I believe he's doing. So as Shugen Sensei said earlier in the week, we don't have to die a little bit every day, you know, die early. We don't have to do that. (coughs) And it's when we don't know that we don't have forever. That's when it seems that we can afford to pick and choose what to pay attention to. There's those things that we really care about and really put effort into, right? And the many more than we just let slide. And ironically, that makes things more difficult. It's like when, you, when you're thinking about you know, cleaning your house, your cabin, 
having to sit zazen or finishing that project. You know, the, the thought of that, the weight of that is so much heavier than the doing. And in fact, all the time that we spend thinking about what we should do but don't really want to, we could have done that thing three times over. And yet something stops us. What is that? What is that? Be meticulous, the Buddha said, and whatever you want to accomplish will not be difficult. He could also have said, get close. Be wholehearted. And in the beginning of the Mahaparinirvana Sutra that contains this teaching on the eight awarenesses, he speaks of the precepts as the ground on which the disciple of the way walks. And he (coughs) says it also in in a number of the sutras (coughs) that without virtuous conduct, concentration cannot arise and cannot be maintained. And without concentration, wisdom is not impossible, but it's difficult to appear, to cultivate. And so the precepts, he says, are the foundation and the source of liberation. And he's speaking, you know, to his, to his students, and he's saying, you know, you must really practice them diligently. And then he goes into quite, quite a bit of detail in how, how to do that. And in one passage he says, with an, <coughs> with an upright heart and appropriate thoughts, you should seek to ferry others to the other shore. Do not go about trying to conceal your faults and shortcomings or display how different you are from deluded creatures. In making the four offerings um, of fire, water, earth, and air, which are your joy in awakening your heart, your reverence for the Dharma, your resolve to train, and your practice, know your capacity and be content with that. Be quick to go about doing services and work, but do not seek to amass tasks. These guidelines summarize the characteristics of keeping to the precepts. And at the end of the sutra, he says, you know, the the teaching to, to to spiritually benefit yourself by benefiting others contains everything, contains the whole thing. Let your life be upright. Let your life be a life of service. Living with an upright heart and appropriate thoughts and skillful thoughts, loving thoughts, affirming thoughts. Don't conceal yourself, he says. Also, don't elevate yourself. Do not separate yourself from yourself or from others. And even if if you do, that separation is not true. It doesn't lead to the end of suffering. And then he has the wonderful line, in making the four offerings, which are your joy in awakening your heart, your reverence for the Dharma, your resolve to train, and your practice, do you feel this you know, when, you, when you offer a stick of incense where you're standing in front of your altar doing these four offerings? Do you feel this joy in awakening your heart? 
Do you feel reverence for the Dharma? Do you feel in that moment your resolve to train your practice? And again, in those moments when when we don't, what is in the way? So there is the meticulous effort in a sense of of very, very practically, very concretely doing one thing, single-mindedly, paying attention, letting go of distraction, returning to the task at hand, returning to the practice. Is that meticulous effort for the sake of itself and for the sake of the task. But there's also effort which becomes a doorway, which becomes a doorway into a whole other realm, like the, the ancestor's inner chamber, Master Dogen called it, where you're no longer the one doing anything. And yet you're, you're accompanied by a room full of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and that offering of that one stick of incense <coughs> is the offering of a thousand, a million, a billion sticks of incense. And, and there's all of these beings, which are you and not you, spreading you know, through all these universes. Like these descriptions in the Lotus Sutra and the Avatamsaka Sutra. And they're not just metaphor, they're not just poetry. And so, <coughs> in that realm, difficult, easy, accomplishing, and not accomplishing, they all get swallowed up. I've told a story before of the, of the desert father who... Uh, would spend his days weaving palm baskets. And when his cave was, was full to the, to the top with them, he would take them apart and then just start over again. And that was his practice. No point, no goal, no reward, no accomplishment. But was that effort shojin? You know, was it non-regressing? Was it pure? Did it lead him? to awakening. In one sense, you know, we, we only have the information that we have, right? A man, a cave, these baskets. And so very much, I think, like a koan, we have to know his mind. We have to be his mind. We have to be him weaving those baskets day after day, hour after hour, day after day, <clears throat> until there, there's no hour after hour, no day after day. There's no baskets, no one weaving. And in a very different, uh, different example, there was a woman who, who worked in an assembly line, and she had to do essentially the same task, you know, take the same parts, put them together, solder them, and pass them along about 600 times a day. And so what she decided to do was to 
challenge herself to do it as quickly and as accurately as she could. And so she very carefully studied how to lay out her tools, you know, where to put her hands on the parts she was handling, what extraneous movements she could eliminate, with a result that what takes her, one of her co-workers, 43 seconds to complete, you know, one, one operation, she does in 28, 28 seconds. And, you know, she said that's not even the point to do it fast, that it is, it is so pleasurable for her to be that in it, to challenge herself in that way, to be that focused that she doesn't want to slow down. And so she's been doing this job for five years, happily. A job that for many of us, you know, after a week, would be mind-numbing. Is that difficult or easy? Does that work? Or is it pleasure? Years ago, I was in the, in the studio <coughs> working with Dadaroshi on the Zen of Creativity. And it was Saturday night, probably around 9 or 10 o'clock. And we had been working all week. And he wanted Ryushin and I to come back on Sunday and work after the Sunday program. And Miyotai Sensei had come over you know, to the studio from the Avasi <coughs> to try to get Daido to let us go. And she said to him, you know, even God rested on, on a Sunday. <laughs> he said, are you really going to, to uh, make them work so hard? And without missing a beat, Daido said, what is working hard? And I'm thinking, holy mother of God. I mean, that's Dharma encounters happening like, right there. <laughs> and I'm like right in the midst of it. And um, she convinced him. She convinced him in the end to let us go. But I think, um, when I think about the way that he worked, and and certainly how I witnessed him working, (coughs) I think that question was not um, um, uh, idle, you know, for him. And it wasn't just a con. There is a con that is very much like that. (coughs) And I don't think it was just that for him. It was really, you know, what is work and what is um, playing, playing in this thing I love to do so much. What is working hard? What is not working hard? What is exerting meticulous effort or not exerting any effort at all? You know, is that just being sloppy? How do you know? How do you know the difference? <coughs> I, I have some. Thank you. And this uh, example you know, that the Buddha gives of um, not being able to start a fire if you stop rubbing the sticks you know, before they get too hot, I think it was, um, think it was Yasutani Roshi who talked about um, samadhi, concentration, in a, in a similar way. You know, he's saying you can't, you can't cultivate samadhi if you keep turning your attention, your concentration on and off. He said it's like trying to, to boil a pot of water, and every time it starts to get warm or hot, you turn it off. And it doesn't work if you just 
let it boil and then walk away from it if you don't use it. It doesn't work if every five minutes you switch the burners because you have found something more important you feel you need to cook in that moment. You could even add salt to it, make it boil at a higher temperature. But that will affect then what you cook with it. And so there is an aspect of meticulous effort which requires a kind of um, endurance. Although that's not the, that's not the best word because <coughs> it's not a, you know, jockeyish. It's not strength. Or it is strength, but not, not the usual kind. I think about it more uh, in terms of constancy. You know, that in order to be meticulous in your practice, in your life, you do need to have a certain degree of constancy. <clears throat> it doesn't work, that turning on and off. And so, very much a part of the work of exerting meticulous effort is determining what kind of effort you can sustain, which I have spoken of in terms of right effort. And this is not because you have to, not because somebody said, well, if you don't do this, then you won't get what you want, but because you want to. You want to live your life awake. You want to be here for it. You want to know your mind. Oh, you friends, since you can already abide in the precepts, you should work on regulating your five senses. When receiving food or drink, you should look upon it as upon the ingesting of medicine. Do not give rise to fluctuations in judgment by weighing it on the scales of good and bad. Be prompt to ingest it as a support for your body, which removes hunger and thirst. At the same time, be as the honeybee, who, while gathering pollen from a flower, only takes the nectar and does not spoil or destroy the flower's color shape, or scent. (coughs) A honeybee gathering pollen from the flower (coughs) doesn't criticize the flower. She doesn't criticize the flower's appearance, its yield. She doesn't look at one flower and then compare it to the other one and say, you know, this one's good, this one, not so much. She doesn't use the flower for her own ends. I mean, she is taking sustenance. But she doesn't then trample the flower. She doesn't suck it dry. She doesn't cut it up or pull it at its roots so that no one else is able to drink from it. And you could say that a bee knows what honey is and what it's for. And so she uses it perfectly. Perfectly. When receiving an offering from another, partake of it while ridding yourself of any feelings of irritation and dislike. To feel that you have not gotten very much (coughs) and therefore seek after more destroys the good-hearted intention of the donor. (coughs) It is just the same as with the shrewd person who measures the strength of an ox 
by how much it can bear and does not go to excess so that they can so that they wear out its strength. And so to me that's a, an echo of that other line, know your capacity and be content with that. <coughs> it also has echoes of the second awareness which Gokan mentioned, knowing how to be satisfied. <coughs> It's not resigning ourselves to our limits, but it is accepting them. And accepting them give us, gives us enormous strength. Because it allows us to work w- with and within our capacity, which hopefully is, is always expanding. In a sense, that's what uh, the woman that I, that I spoke of was was trying to do is like how how far can I take this in a very simple repetitive task? How large can I make it? How large can I be in it? So that capacity is not is not static, but at any given moment we will meet some form of limit, <coughs> and so. Recognizing this allows us to, um, you know, to work from our strengths and to learn, you know, from our weaknesses, which aren't even weaknesses. You know, there, you know, some things come more easily to us, and some things we struggle with. And all of it, all of it, we can use. Knowing ourselves, knowing our capacity. We know how to be challenged, but not overwhelmed. And when we are overwhelmed, we notice. Is it the circumstances, or is it what I'm doing with them? Or is it both? There is the reality of what is happening that may be too much, in fact, for me at that moment. But there is also my view, my feelings, my opinions about what is happening. And so being meticulous in, in one sense is, is being aware of, of both, that they're both um, creating that particular reality. And that, like anything else, it's not fixed. It is to be able to ask, do I need to work harder? Do I need to work smarter? Do I need to ease up? Do I need, very importantly, to protect my mind? <coughs> to a synonym of meticulous is accurate. We could call it realistic. We could call it grounded, clear, wise. So knowing our capacity and accepting it, we can use it. We can use it like water, that, that very consistently, drop after drop on a rock until it can bore a hole through it, if, <coughs> if <coughs> a hole is what is needed. <coughs> Maybe what is needed is to flow unimpeded over the rock. Maybe we need to move the rock, and so then we do that. 
so that the water can flow more smoothly. And then we can move with instead of against. And very simply, we stop fighting because we recognize that our energy is better used in other ways. And sometimes it can take a very long time to stop fighting. Sometimes maybe that that fight is uh, needed, needed to, to find our way into what what kind of effort we need for what we have to meet in front of us. And so we practice consistently and patiently and resolutely. And really the best part is when we, when we realize that we're doing all of this um, under the auspices of the three treasures. And realizing that hopefully leads to or just reflects and enhances uh, a deep and grateful reverence for the Dharma, which hopefully also leads to and enhances and reflects and spreads um, that boundless joy in awakening our hearts. For more talks, to get information about Zuise Sensei's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazuisegoddard.org.